your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. We are finishing up Colossians. It looks like a lot that we're going to be covering. Um, you know, just, just to let you know that the final greetings are, are pretty much standard. There's a couple of things I do want to point out there, but pretty much uh, it's, we're concluding with verses 2 through 6 today. And then, uh, of course, next Sunday, we, you heard that it's our Seder. And I pray that you have already, if you haven't, um, registered, at least let us know how many you're bringing. Um, I know we're a small uh, facility, a small church, but it seems that during that day, we, we invite friends and we invite people to come and share with us. So it, it does get, um, it get, it gets a little you know, crowded in there. and we, we have extra tables and chairs if we need. But uh, let us know if you'd like to bring something. You don't have to. But um, one of the things that I found out about uh, Passovers and Seders is that people that actually put them on, they charge an admission fee. You know, I, I, I don't know, but we've, we've never, what's that? Yeah, uh, but we don't, we, we don't, we, you know, and this is why it's, it's a potluck type of a thing, you know, so, and there's specific items that we have, if you haven't heard yet, um, I talked to Winter, she has the list of things that we can bring and, and that you are, you know, you can if you'd like to, to bring. We want to, we're not Jewish, so, I mean, but we're trying to be as kosher as possible. In other words, we won't have bacon or ham or, or carnitas, not, not this Sunday, next Sunday, yeah, we'll have carnitas. Uh, but, but uh, you know, we, we will have um, uh, the dietary, it's, it's not a strict dietary law, but like I said, we're trying to be as, as uh, kosher as possible. And uh, we, we did that with the matzah. Uh, we did that with the grape juice, I believe. You know, we, we got some kosher grape juice. No wine, sorry. Uh, some of you guys are looking forward to that, but no wine. Uh, but we start at 10. That's what I wanted to emphasize. We start at 10. So get here a little bit early so you can get your seat and uh, bring your friends and let people know. Um, and uh, it just so happens that some, someone didn't hear about Seder and just shows up, and they show up at 1030, so we'll try to accommodate as well. But, uh, uh, and, and know this, we're all going to do it in the fellowship hall, and there's going to be a meal right in the middle of it all for those of you guys that haven't participated. There, we're going to have food, so don't worry about that. You know, you, we've been talking about it. It's not after, it's during. Uh, how fun is that? You know, go to church and get to eat while you're... <laughs> okay, this is the only time we do that, so... Okay? Yeah, it is. Uh, and we will have lamb. As a matter of fact, we will have lamb. If uh, you, you've never tasted it, it's, it's a good taste. All right, so Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 2 through 6, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and give you some information, some extra out verses that I just cannot cram into this outline, but I, there's some that I wanted you to take away and other things that I'd like for you to at least know about, especially concerning my speech that exposes my heart. And Paul says this in verse 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Father in heaven, thank you again for this portion of scripture. As we conclude this uh, marvelous book, that letter that Paul has written to the, to the tri-cities of uh, Colossians, Col and, uh, and, and also uh, Laodicea, Father, and... Uh, Hierapolis, and I thank you, Father, that, um, that these people were able to receive the message at a timely, uh, in, in a timely manner. Paul was responding to questions. He was responding to issues that were arising within the church, and apparently this must have been one of them because he responds so eloquently, and I pray, God, that we can be as genuine to your word and and uh, with integrity, Father, just uh, using and knowing that it's your word that we speak and we, we want to dive into. So, Father, uh, once again, we just thank you for this opportunity and this time. We pray in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen. amen. All right. And uh, one of the reasons I said, you know, that I wish I had other more outline, I guess I could make a bigger outline, but I, I don't want to inundate you with so much already. Somebody said, man, you use a lot of verses. Like, you think so? Okay, well, I mean, you ought to see all the verses I do have. <laughs> Because when, when you're doing a, a study of the Word of God, you, there's, 
the only, the best commentary, I should say, is the Word itself. Using the Bible, going to the Old Testament. What did the Old Testament say about this? And how does it relate in the New Testament? What else did Paul say about what uh, we were talking about last week, about a wife submitting to your husbands and husbands loving your wife, children being obedient, servants being obedient. And so uh, what else does the Bible have to say about that? And so there's a lot of information and so we can just read the book of Colossians because that's basically what they did. Paul sent the letter here. Here's some issues that are going on. This is what Paul says. Do it. And he says, walk in that manner. Walk in such a way. That is my favorite term. If nothing, if you haven't taken anything away from this book, Christ is sufficient. Remember that? We've been talking about Christology. Christ is sufficient, and he is all that we need. His word is sufficient. That's all we need. We don't need any other outside sources. People were coming in with all sorts of philosophies and ideas and thoughts and, and uh, things about nature, things about spiritualism. They were worshiping angels. They were trying to get people to go back to the traditions and, and keeping the Sabbath and the, the customs and the Jewish dietary laws and all these things. They said, yes, Christ died for your sins, but, and Christ died for your sins. However, and Christ died for your sins, if you don't, and they would add in there everything else. Christ is sufficient. Say that with me. Christ is sufficient. What I mean by Christ is sufficient is basically that's all there is. It's, it's, that's all you need is what Jesus Christ did to get you into heaven. He's completed. He's finished the task. God unleashed his wrath on Jesus Christ for your iniquity. Your sin, my sin, and Jesus Christ took it upon himself. And, and it's called the, the great exchange. God imputed upon him all our sin, and he imputed Christ's righteousness upon us. Not because you were good, not because you were his favorite, not because you were born in America, because that's it. Because God is love, and he loves you. And he's displaying his love, not because you made a decision, not because you made a choice, not because you raised your hand, not because of anything else, because, but because of God. And this is a difficult, understand. I can't understand it as to why he would choose me, but he did. And I'm ever grateful for that. And so I walk in that manner. And, and one of the things I pray that you've been taking away from this is that, that our lifestyle needs to reflect our salvation. You ought to be, Paul said, be worthy, walk worthy of the call that you have received. And, and Paul continues everywhere. He's talking about parapatia. This is the word walk. And that's, that's the one word that I'm going to be using over and over. Walk, walk in the spirit so you don't gratify the desires of the sinful natures. Galatians 5.16. He says walk and, and in such a way that you can honor and glorify God. Walk. And he's talking about your lifestyle. And one of the biggest indicators of our life is our mouth. You know, our mouth gets us in trouble. I read a book a long time ago called um, Hung by the Tongue. <laughs> and it was, I can't remember the author's name, but he was basically talking out of James. And, and I, I tell you that when I did that study through the book of James, it, it, you see on what James is talking about and what the Bible is talking about. A lot of, lot of verses and what the Bible talks about. In Psalms 19, verse 14, this is why David prayed this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And this is my prayer, and I pray that you can take this home with you today and meditate upon this and let the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart be acceptable to the Lord. Not to the popular social group, not to the government, not to the people, but to God. You give God the honor and the glory. You see, and, and James said this, he says, from the same mouth come blessings and cursing, my brother. These things ought not to be so. It seems like, we, we, you know, my mom used to say, y, y, de esa, de esa boca comes? Okay. Um, from that mouth, is that, the, you eat from that mouth? That's kind of, I guess you would describe it. You eat from that mouth? Mm, yeah, okay, mom, I'm sorry. You know, it, it's that the same thing comes, and, and James is, is very clear as far as talking about how two things, you cannot, they can't stand side by side. You cannot have fresh water and salt water come out of the same spring. It's either going to be fresh or it's going to be salty. 
And Jesus was very keen on this when he talked to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Again, these aren't in your outlines. But in Matthew 12, he's talking to the Pharisees and he's, t- he's talking to them about being, you know, the, the fruit from good trees and the fruit from bad trees. And, you know, if it's a good, tr- it's a good tree, you'll get good fruit. But if it's a bad, bad tree, you're going to get bad fruit. And then he says in Matthew 12, 34, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is why I say that it is the mouth that will expose your heart. And your mouth, you might say certain things and you might want to pretend to be or whatever. But when you're when you're in trouble, uh, it's like a tea bag. When you're in hot water, uh, whatever comes out is what's inside your heart. It's like a tube of toothpaste. But when the squeeze is on, what is it that actually comes out? And so Paul is, is keen on this and he's saying, I want you guys to have this vocabulary in you. And the Bible has much to say about the speech of the redeemed and the unredeemed. The unredeemed, they have, they're characterized by evil. Now, these aren't anywhere, but just you might want to write these down. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil. The mouth is, uh, of the unredeemed pours out and speaks out sexual immorality or deceit. It also uh, uh, pers- pushes out or, or talks about oppression. The mouth of the unredeemed always is talking about destruction and vanity and all these flattery and foolishness, madness, carelessness, boasting, false doctrine, evil plots, hatred, too many words and gossip and on and on. The list goes on about what the Bible says about the mouth of the unredeemed. On the flip side of that, in contrast, the redeemed should be characterized by, well, first of all, confession of sin. You're not perfect. As a matter of fact, James goes on to say, if you never say anything wrong, then you're perfect. You know, he's kind of making a, a uh, you know, he's, at, he's, he's really not saying that you are perfect. But if we all say things that are wrong. And, and what, what John says, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We ought to confess Jesus Christ with our mouth. The Bible says in, in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does the rest of that say? You shall be saved. Yeah, we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. The redeemed mouth has edifying speech. Paul says, let no corrupt uh, talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The, the redeemed mouth loves to talk about God. It doesn't matter where he's at. I talked to a, a friend of mine that, you know, just didn't want anything to Christianity. He says, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I says, well, you, you ought to repent and just become a, sin, a believer and get out from the life of sin. And he goes, oh, you know what? My daughter just became, she's a brand new, one of those believers. You know what those brand new believers are like, right? And I go, yes, I do know what they're like. They're excited about Jesus and they want you to know about Jesus. Yeah, she's always talking to me about that God stuff and, you know, the blankety blank and this and that. And I says, well, it's because she loves you, man. She loves you. She wants you to know the truth. He goes, well, you know, it's just not running. Okay. And, and a person that is, redeemed out of his mouth will come out praises about God and what he's done. He blesses his enemies. He talks about God. He he has wisdom and kindness and gentleness. Uh, A redeemed uh, mouth and speech takes on the model of Jesus Christ who spoke instructively and he would teach with the word. This is what the word says. Uh, Here's what the Bible says. Here's what I read in John and Hebrews and and, and, and you, you know this because this is coming. You've learned it firsthand. The Bible talks about how the mouth of the wise brings wisdom and not folly. And so there's this, there's this contrast of the redeemed and the unredeemed. And the Bible just goes over and over and talks about how all these things come together. And number one, I just want to sh- share with you this. Number one, my speech is going to reveal my prayer life. My speech is going to reveal my prayer life. One of the easiest things... For a believer to do is to pray. It doesn't require any type of formal training. It doesn't require any books. It doesn't require any, any type of uh, anything. You don't have to be in a class. You don't have to be in a specific place to pray, but you pray. 
One of the easiest things. You know what? One of the hardest things for a believer to do is to pray. <laughs> I, I, it's this what? I mean, a lot of believers don't pray. They don't pray about what they're going to do next. Not, they don't pray about uh, the decisions they're going to make. You remember that wristband that used to have WWJD? You remember that? I used to think it said, what, we want jelly donuts. But it didn't say that. So we, no, what would Jesus do? Pray about what it is that you're going to do next. How are you going to respond? And just take a little bit of time. You know, this is an exercise that I had to learn the hard way. Because somebody comes up with something and I just blurt out the first thing that's on my tongue and my mouth was not so redeemed. And I would say what I felt. I'd have to pause and ponder just long enough to think, okay, Lord, what, what should I say? What verse do you have? How, what are the verses that I've memorized? How, how can I respond to this situation? And this is a practice that it, it takes time. And we, we have to respond in such a way. My speech reveals my prayer life. It reveals what God is sh not only sharing with you, but what you're saying to God. Paul says this is continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He says, do this on a regular basis. Uh, let, the word of, let the words of my mouth, the psalmist I, I read a little while ago, let the words of my mouth and the, make, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Paul touches on, on certain things about how to pray and what to pray and, and the things that we ought to be doing. The first thing he says is pray continuously or continue, continue steadfastly. Do this in such a way that you are not being moved. You do this and you do this and you do this. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. You know, and to pray without season is to, to be devoted. By doing that, you follow the example of the many people that are praying all the time. And, and it is not necessarily limited to constant vocalizing your prayers to God. It Rather, it refers to God consciously. You're referring to Him, thinking about, okay, Lord, like as I said a little while ago, Father, what do I do? How do I respond? And, and you're continuously praying. Paul said, pray without ceasing. You pray as you're driving, you pray as you're walking, you pray, you know, with your children, you pray, and, and you're constantly just thinking about God, and this is prayer. Now, there's times that it necessitates for us to fall on our knees and pray before the Lord. It's, it's focused prayer. You have this, this desire for something to take place because you know that God is sovereign. You know that He does what He's doing, and you desire for all things to come in such a way under his will and under his sovereign control that your children are saved, that your friends are saved, or that, that your family is taken care of that and protected, and you want God to be sovereignly in control. And so when you see these things start, and specifically praying for certain people and certain things, you specifically ask God consistently and consistently, and you see the change start to happen in people, and boom, they get saved. Something happens supernatural that you know it had to be God. Many times when people ask me to pray for their loved ones, I stop right there and I pray. I bow my heads. I hold a person by the, by, by, by the shoulder or by the hand and, and I pray. And I sometimes intersect something like, Father, just help them to sense your presence, that somebody is praying for them. Now, I never follow up on that because, you know, it would be kind of difficult to do. But, but, you know, God knows what he's doing. And, and I, I ask, and, and there have been times that people have come back and says, you know that day that we were praying? You know my daughter said, my son said? You know that, really, okay, that, that's cool. We prayed for this young man, this friend of ours or mine. Uh, he was talking about his son and, and how things are just not working well. And, you know, just, you know, and he said, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. He's living in Vegas. He's got the life that, you know, I just don't want to even discuss. Well, let's pray for him right here, right now. And we prayed for him. The next day, he calls me up. You wouldn't believe what happened. My son called me. He says, you know, Dad, I felt as I needed to call you. The next day, he called me up. And, says, I, and he says, I hadn't talked to him in such a long time. You pray that God intervenes. And sometimes you have to fast a day or two or, or just, just to be able to focus on your prayer. But Paul says, do this continuously with everything that you do. And we pray all the time without ceasing. And we try to get, uh, we, we, we're connecting with God and we're not listening, we're not trying to hear his audible voice. We're not trying to see any visions. We're not trying to sense any presence because we have his word right here. 
and another thing that we've been talking about is the sufficiency of Scripture. This is all we need. We don't need no outside revelation. We don't need anything coming in from anywhere else. You see, if it, if it agrees with God and His Word, then I don't need it, right? Because everything I need is in between these two covers. If it agrees with God, I don't need it. If it doesn't agree with the Bible, I don't want it. And all we need is to be able to dive into you. But I got a new revelation. Really, have you already have you already expounded everything that's in this book? Have you already taken out everything that God's word says to be able to know that there's something missing? All we need is right here, beloved. That's it. And we'll always go there. Paul says, I want you to pray being watchful. In Matthew 26, after the. Passover meal, the disciples go into the garden to pray, and he takes, Jesus takes his disciples, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not keep watch with me one hour? And then the verse 41 says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, and I, need, I have a confession to make. Sometimes when I can't sleep, I start praying. You know, and, and it used to work, but now it just keeps me going. <laughs> it keeps me going. So then I said, okay, well, maybe if I read the Bible, that'll help me. Because, you know, I've read this over and over again. Maybe, the, you know, and, and at first it used to work, but now, it, you know, it just it keeps me going. All right, Lord, what do I do now? You pray and you keep watch. And you, it's impossible to pray while sleeping. You can't do that in your sleep. Your mind is going and your dreams are coming in. The third element he's talking about here in prayer is with thanksgiving. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what God's will is? It's right there. Very simple. What did he say? What is God's will? Give thanks. That's God's will. Give thanks in every situation, in any situation, in all situations. Uh, you know, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's, you know, hard, whether it's easy, give thanks. Always giving thanks. Always giving thanks. Be thankful for God's presence. Psalm 75, 1. The writer, to the, the psalmist says, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. He's near. And lo, I am with you always, Jesus told them. Not sometimes. You know, I'll be with you, you know, during the good times, but in the bad times, I'm not going to be there. Footprints in the sand. You remember that. And, and what, what Jesus is, what God is saying, and the Word of God is saying, is that Jesus is going to be with you. The Holy Spirit himself is here. He is your comforter. Another thing that we ought to be thankful for is the things that we have. When's the last time you thank God for living in such a blessed place? Uh, there are a lot of people right now that are really just knocking down the place that we live in. And, and, you know, there's no other place in the world that you can worship the way we worship and buy and sell and, and do the things that we can do and make money. And, you know, it's getting less and less now. You know, it's a whole different topic. But the fact of the matter is you live in a very comfortable place, a very good place. Do you know that two-thirds of the world would love to have your problems? Our garbage disposals eat more than two-thirds of the world. Go figure. I said that one time, and a guy says, no, not in my house. If they don't eat it, I eat it. It ain't going nowhere. All I'm, I'm trying to say is that, you know what, people, they, they just wish they had your problems. You know, I live in a one-bedroom house. You got a house? Yeah, but it's only one bedroom. You got a bedroom even? You mean it's not like with everybody in there? Yeah, and I got to share my bed. You got a bed off the ground, you know, in a house where the animals won't crawl up on you? Yeah, but I got to share with you. You, you, have, you have somebody? Do you have someone that you can love, that loves you back and keep you warm at night? Beloved, we are so blessed for God's provision in so many things. God causes his righteousness to shine on the, the good and the righteous. God causes his sun to shine on the righteous as well as the unrighteous, the redeemed as well as the unredeemed. And don't get that confused with God's gracious favor, his special favor of salvation. He blesses you, whether you're righteous or unrighteous. He causes the sun to shine on the righteous and unrighteous as well. And people confuse that with, well, God is taking care of me. He's looking, he, look at how much I'm, I'm being blessed. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. 
And there's that special favor, that special grace, that saving grace that are only for the righteous, the redeemed. And don't get that, those two confused. We thank God for everything that he's done. We thank God for his pardon us of sin. Uh, we, we thank God for, well, you know, here's another thing we need to be thankful for. Thank God for whatever. And I, I just said that in, in Acts chapter 27, in Acts 27, Paul is being taken to Rome. And in the process of being taken to Rome uh, in this ship, and it just goes, the sea is just bouncing all over the place. And they're throwing out all kinds of stuff, cargo to try to balance out the ship. And they says, you know, we can't see anything. The stars are covered. The moon is covered. And they were out for 14 days, 14 days. And they knew they were going to die. And Paul says, no, God's told me nobody's going to die here. And they thought, you know, we need to jump off the boat. We're going to hit the rocks. We don't know where we're at. Anybody that jumps off the boat is going to die. And so they all stayed on the boat. And Paul takes out some bread. Look, it's been 14 days. You guys haven't eaten anything. Let's eat. Father, he's having a prayer service. I thank you. And people are looking at him like, what? I thank you for this life, for this food that you give us to be able to eat right now in the middle of your storm." Thank God. Thank Him. I mean, you've heard me say this many times before. You cannot be worried and worship at the same time. Worry occupies your mind. It's focused thinking on the negative. You're focused thinking about what, what you should have done, what you could have done, what you will do. You're focused about what's happened, what's happening, what's going to happen. You're focusing on yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You're focusing on too many things. And the Bible says that we do the things that we can, prepare and do what we have to, but we need to focus our thinking on worship. You can't put worship and worry in the same spot. It's like water and oil. So when you're worried about things, and the reason it is is because we're not praying. We're not being thankful for the struggle. We're not being thankful for what we have or what we don't have. Thank God that he didn't give me a million bucks when I prayed for it. I don't know what I would have done with it. You know, I can't even handle a hundred bucks, you know. You know, and there's things that I want and I desire. And God says, yeah, I got an answer for you on that. And here it is. Be ready. You might want to write this down. No. Okay. It wasn't even wait. Just, no, you don't need that. <laughs> I know what you need and I've given it to you. That's all you need. Focus on God is worship. And you worship by focusing on God. And you focus on his promises. You focus on his comfort. You focus on what it is that he can provide. We focus on God's pardon. Romans 6, 17 says, be, uh, But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Focus on God's promises. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, finally, I just want to say, you know, we need to focus on God's purposes. Romans 8, 28, probably one of your favorite verses. And we know that for those who love God, all things were together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There's that efficacious call, the call of salvation, the calling of God calling you into his fold to be his sheep. You know who doesn't give thanks? You know who doesn't give thanks to God? In Romans 1.21, Paul's talking about the unrighteous and just how the people are, are just doing all these things and they're going and, and saying, you know, I don't have to do anything. I, I can do whatever I want. It's my life. I, I'm not hurting anybody. And, and instead of repenting, what God does is he gives them more of what they were. That, that's what you want. That's what you're going to get. The, and, and it starts off with this little sin and, and, and it grows into a bigger sin. It starts off with lust and, and with lust, it starts into, you know, attraction. And from attraction, you fall into the sin. And James says that once you fall into the sin, it leads to death. And it explodes and is like a roaring lion. You can't control it anymore. It's, it's uncontainable. And the moment you start messing with, just, just thinking about. And what Paul says, you, what, what Paul said with this is when you start going on that track, God gives you more of what you want. And this is the principle of God hardening your heart. Hardening the heart of those evildoers because that's what they want. They don't want anything to do with God. And God says, okay, we'll have at it. And that's what we call the debased mind. This is what we call a person that is so totally debased, so uh, depraved, because nothing hinders them, nothing even bothers them anymore. And they receive all of God's special, or not special, but 
uh, the, the favor and grace that everyone else receives. In Romans 1.21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The reprobate, the depraved person, they don't honor God, and they don't give thanks to Him. Well, I did this all on my own. I got, I got no help from nobody. I pulled myself up my own bootstraps. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and nothing ever happens. I did it all on my own. I'm my own God. Why do I need to go to church? Why do I have to do anything? I can take care of it all. There's that small voice inside your head that's saying, yes, you did this. Yeah, you did this. Don't worry about anybody else. You know, those Christians, those people, you know, all they want you to do is go to church and give them your money. You work too hard for this. You can't do that. Yeah, stay away from them. They're a bunch of hypocrites anyways. They say one thing, but they do something else. Number two, my speech responds with the gospel. Paul says in verses 3 through 4, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare, speak it out, say it, the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul wasn't in prison because he was a thief or anything else, but he was in prison because he was proclaiming the gospel. Everywhere he went, he didn't care. He got beat up, left for dead. He was starved, shipwrecked, as I just said a little while ago. And he says, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. There was this oughtness about Paul. There was this oughtness about his willingness to, to proclaim the gospel. He, was, he even said in Romans 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is power of God unto salvation, the first the Jew and then the Gentile, and I'm going to tell everybody about this. And the Jew says, well, you can tell us, but don't tell the Gentiles. And that's why he was in prison. They accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple. And, and he did no such thing. And, and so they, they imprisoned, he was imprisoned for two years in Jerusalem, another two years in Rome. And after that, tradition says that he was beheaded. We don't know, biblically speaking, but tradition tells us that he was executed. And while in prison, he was able to write to the people in Coloss. And that's the letter that we're reading right now. He was focused. He knew what he wanted to say. He knew how to respond because there was this oughtness about him. I ought to do it. I got to do this. Uh, you know, and this is the thing that he, he said, I have to make this done. I have to do this. You know, this ought can be understand. You know, you can understand that this is something I have to do. For if I, in, in 1 Corinthians 9.16, it says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I like the NIV translation that he says, you know, if I don't preach the gospel, I ought to preach the gospel. I have to preach the gospel. I need to preach the gospel. And, and I, was told, I was told one time, Pastor, every time you get up to do a funeral or something, it's, it's, it's great how you bring the gospel message into it. And I do. People are right at the point of thinking about, okay, so, you know, our, our, our brother here, our beloved here is laying here. What, what about us? Where are we going to end up at? Well, I answer that question for them. At least I try to. You know, you might be thinking about you. What's going to happen to you unless without Jesus Christ, there is no second chance. And somebody says, you always bring out the gospel. And I said, you know what? I'm afraid what would happen if I don't. You need to be willing to share the gospel wherever you go. Paul preached the gospel, testifying both to Jews in Acts 20, 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The gospel message has to proclaim repentance what Jesus Christ did. And there's various types of, being, of, of preaching the gospel. Some people try to preach the gospel in such a way that it focuses not on the message itself or the scriptures, but on the person's testimony. Somebody comes up and they start saying, well, I used to be this, and I used to be that, and I've, you know, and I've ran over some people. I stole my grandma's car, and I would take her money, and I would go to the store, and then I was 12. And then I started, you know, and you know, by the time you're done, 45 minutes later, the guy says, okay, and then I met Jesus Christ, and here I am. So thank you so much. Sounds more like a bragamony than it does a testimony. And it's not about what I used to be, but it needs to be about what I am. See, the gospel message is not your testimony. That's not the gospel. 
The gospel message is centered on Christ. There's another way of, of sharing the gospel message, and that's basically telling people, you know, come to Jesus, and he'll take care of all your problems. And it, everything will fall into place for you. How many would like to give a testimony about that? <laughs> you know, I, as a matter of fact, you probably, more than likely, after committing your life to Christ and getting serious about your life, rededicating your life back to Christ, wanting to grow closer to him, more than likely you've had more opposition than you've had in the past. More things have popped up because you're now being serious about your walk with the Lord. And when that happens, it's because, you know, the, the enemy forces, they liked you where you were at. They like your talk. Yeah, you can talk all the sweet stuff and all the great things, you know, but you just don't get so involved. Yeah, go to church and don't forget Easter and, you, you know, and Christmas, of course, you know, make sure you get there. But don't get too involved or too serious. And most of you would, would probably testify and says, you know, that's exactly what happened to us when I started praying, when I started getting closer to God. And that's not, that's not the gospel message either. Jesus Christ will take care of all your problems. Jesus Christ is going to take care of your sin problem. You are now able to enter into heaven. So regardless of what this world might give you, this is not a recipe for success, to build your business, to get rich, to get healthy. That's how a lot of people present the gospel. Another way is this high-pressure tactics and manipulation and trying to get people to convert and to turn and, and, and the song is playing one more song, one more time, one more time. There's somebody out there, I know, I know that he wants to get saved. I know that he wants to come forward. And finally, the last guy says, you know, let me get up there before, the, this ain't ever going to end. The gospel message is not feeding the people in Crestline. Though that's a good cause, the things that we do. It's not feeding the homeless or the, you know, giving them clothes. The gospel message is not anything that we do as a church. The gospel message is specifically grounded and it is focused on Jesus Christ. An interesting thing that you would, uh, well, well, let's look at this verse here in your outlines as well. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You know that the scriptures aren't the New Testament that he's talking about. Paul didn't have the Romans road. Well, he hadn't written it yet. First Corinthians with First Thessalonians as well, it's considered to be some of the earlier epistles that he wrote. He didn't have the four spiritual laws. He didn't have um, evangelism explosion. He didn't have any of the other tools that you might see nowadays to be able to proclaim the gospel. But he had the scriptures. We'll touch on that here just a little bit. As a matter of fact, when, when uh, the, the, the persecution started in Jerusalem and they persecuted, they killed Stephen, uh, one, of the, one of the disciples that was... Uh, was going from place to place, and the Holy Spirit was leading him, and, and he tells him, he says, you know, I want you to go to this place, and I want you to go there. There's a guy coming down from Jerusalem after he came to worship. He's going back home. He's a eunuch. He's from Ethiopia. He's the treasurer of the queen, and he's a very important person. Go talk to him. So Philip goes up to him, and he starts listening to what he's saying, and he is reading this in Acts 8.32. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the Ethiopian is sitting there reading that. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He goes, no, unless somebody tells me. Who's he talking about? Is this him? Is it somebody else? And at that moment, what he was able to do was take this man through the word of God, going back to the scriptures and reading. Now, you got to see this, the importance of this man, this, this eunuch, this Ethiopian, this person. He had a scroll. They didn't have books back then like you, they do now. He didn't have an iPhone or a tablet or anything else. He had an actual scroll that he was reading from. Now, that was a big deal. Those just, you didn't go to the bookstore and buy a scroll. You, know, you had to pay somebody to transcribe it for you. I want the book of Isaiah. I want this portion specifically. I want the portion about the suffering servant. 
I want to know who this guy is. And you wonder, how is it that Paul was able to preach the gospel according to the scriptures? Yes, he died. Yes, he was buried. And yes, he resurrected. But what was the purpose of that? How was he able to win people to Christ with just those three things? Crucified, buried, and resurrected. You have to go to Isaiah 53. Go there with me, please. Go to Isaiah 53. It, it really is more Isaiah 52, verse 13. In Isaiah 52, verse 13, and they call this all Isaiah 53. It's a lot easier to say Isaiah 53 than Isaiah 52, uh, 13 through 53, you know, to the end of the chapter, which is 12. And, and so when, the, you, when you hear Isaiah 53, it also includes this part, this top portion. And, and this is, in my Bible, and, and just so you know, I'm, I think most of you already know this, that prior to the 1600s, actually about the 1400s, 1300s, when they started putting the Bible in, in place, there were no chapters and verses. They just had a scroll, and they just read right through it. And so they started to piece this together and start putting for easier references. And this is, this is the area, this is the one portion of scripture that they call, at least in my Bible, it's called, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. Now that, beloved, should give you a hint. Oh, they were talking about the crucifixion? Well, it says here, behold, verse 13 of, of chapter 52, behold, my servant shall act wisely, and he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Isaiah is looking to the future. Isaiah is talking about how he's going to act wisely and how he's going to be high and lifted up and exalted. And he's not yet exalted. He's, he's high and lifted up. But when he returns, he will, all the world will be able to see that this is he. Every knee will bow, the Bible says. There is no knee that is not going to bow. Every tongue will confess. Every tongue. Whatever is in heaven, whatever is on earth, whatever is below the earth, demons, the ungodly, the unrighteous, everyone is going to confess that that's him. That's the one they've been telling us about. But this is not a confession of repentance. This is not a confession of salvation. This is a confession of agreeing that this is the Christ. Remember that confession means to agree with God. Confession is not going up to God and say, OK, Lord, I'm going to tell you something. Hold on, this is going to blow you away. And God is not up there wondering, okay, well, what is he going to say? What is he? No, God already knows what you've done. You're not telling him anything you, he doesn't know. Confession is agreeing with God. God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy upon me. You know what God's going to say? He's going to say, I know. <laughs> I know you're a sinner, and I'm going to give you my mercy because you have my son, Jesus Christ. And when every tongue confesses, this is what they're confessing. They're, they're, he's high and lifted up. Now, now look at verse 14. As many, as, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of children of mankind. Now, if you know anything about the crucifixion and the process that it took and the scourging that he took. And Isaiah's looking now in the past. It's like Isaiah was, is right here looking in the future, and now he's looking at the past. He was. He was. And, 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 and many were astonished at him, you know, because he was scourged. His appearance was so marred and beyond any human semblance. Verse 15, so shall, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Again, looking to the future. Once Christ returns, they're going to see Jesus Christ coming down, and they're going to say, oh, yeah, their mouths are going to be opened. And what, 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 how come nobody told us? Oh, you just, they told you. You just didn't want to hear. They told you. Here he is. It's too late. He's doing what he's got to do now. He's, he's doing what he prophesied he was going to do. Verse 1, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. This root out of dry ground is one of those roots that come out of these suckers that come out of the, the base of a, 
olive tree that just starts to suck out the nutrients. And it, that's all it was. And, and those are the roots, that's how he's described, that the farmers would clip and throw away and burn out. And this is how they describe Jesus Christ. He wasn't anything. He didn't, have, he didn't walk around with this halo around him. He wasn't just the smartest kid in the class. And you knew there was something special about him. He was just an ordinary man. In verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Again, looking back into the past, I, this is what I saw. He was despised. People just, you know, I mean, I'm not going to look at him. Look, look at him. You know, he's naked. He's beat up. He's bloodied. And I thought he was the Messiah. Well, he helped others. Can he help himself? Get himself down from the cross. Let me see if he can do that. And Isaiah is showing 850 years. 850 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah saw it all. Verse 4, surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. He was... Isaiah is talking about the crucifixion even before the crucifixion is even invented. The crucifixion of, didn't get invented until about 500 years before Christ. This is maybe 300 years later that people start thinking, you know, we should hang these people up to torture them. This is what we should do. The, nobody ever crucified anybody. Nobody ever pierced anybody to hang them off a tree. Yet Isaiah is picturing something that he sees and is being done. And he was crushed until the wrath of God was satisfied. My iniquity, your iniquity, this is the atonement. This is the substitutionary atonement that he's talking about. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And iniquity is something that you do that is really bad, but not that bad. Like you lie, and then, you know, because you lied, you have to, you know, cover up some other thing and, you know, create some false charges. And because you created some false charges, now you got to build a little bit bigger lie around that. And by the time you know it, it's just like way out of, out of hand. And you're, you're so full grown in this sin that you can't get out of it. You know, and iniquity are those unholy things. When you offend a holy God, he holds you accountable. When God is offended, there needs to be a penalty. There is a penalty. Every sin God sees. Some people say, well, I'm not that bad. And see, and this is what Paul was preaching to the people. This is just one of many examples of the gospel message of God. And as he's using the scriptures, he's showing them out of Moses. Remember Jesus taught them about all the things that the Christ must suffer? And he started with the, the law and the Moses and the prophets and the writings. As he's talking to the people, the two men that were walking uh, from, to Emmaus, and Jesus is talking to them. They didn't know it was Jesus, but he's expounding the scripture. They didn't have the New Testament. And it's important for us to know that this gospel message has to do with sin that you and I have done. And that sin has to be dealt with. And that sin was dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ. He did it for us. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did. And when the gospel is talked is talk to us, the gospel message, I offended a holy God. And, and because I offended a holy God, it makes my life miserable. I try to hide from my sin. I try to hide from God. I try to run away like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the very first people that were covered by blood. When they sinned, what did they do? They, they, they lost fellowship with God. They ran and they hid. Why did you hide? Well, because I was naked. I didn't, you can see right through me, Lord. I mean, who said you were naked? And, all they, and what they did is they disobeyed God. You ate from the tree I told you not to eat. And then he did the classic, well, it's the woman you gave me, Lord. <laughs> it's her fault. I'm blaming her. It's your fault for giving me this woman. 
And from that point forward, sin has always been that one dividing factor that moves us away from God. And if you've lied once, the Bible says you've committed all of them. If you've had an impure thought, the Bible says that's adultery. If you've taken just one paperclip pencil from the office or from school or stolen something from a store, it was insignificant. The Bible calls you a thief. And no lying, adulterous thief is going to make it into heaven. We offend a holy God on a regular basis, and that sin has to be dealt with. That's the gospel message that Paul was preaching. As a matter of fact, when Peter preached this message, he said, you murdered him. Your, your officials, your, your leaders, they murdered him. And they were cut to the heart and they cried out, what shall we do? He didn't say, okay, raise your hand. Let me see, write that down. Uh, say the special prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Oh no, I'm sorry, hold on. Different prayer. Uh, he didn't have a special prayer for them. He gave them a command. He says, repent. That was it. Repent. Now that's your salvation. When you can repent from the life that you know is a life of sin, salvation has come to your house. And when you follow through the next step, what we're going to talk about, my speech reflects my walk. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Outsiders, meaning those that are Gentiles, those that aren't believers, they don't believe the church anymore. Why? Because the church has embraced just about everything of the world now. The church says one thing and does another thing. And it's unfortunate that the church has gotten a black eye from people that are in the church. My speech reflects my walk. Therefore, Paul said, he said this in Colossians chapter 2, Therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so parapateo, walk in Him. Walk in the Lord. Walk in the Lord. That's going to be my mantra from this point forward. Walk in the Lord. Walk by the Spirit, beloved. Walk by the Spirit. And I'm going to keep teaching you. I'm going to keep sharing that with you. Walk by the Spirit so you don't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Walk worthy of the call that you have received. Walk with the Lord and walk in Him. Number four, my speech represents who I am. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, this whole portion of Scripture, Paul is talking about the things that you say in prayer. Paul is talking about the things that you, uh, that you proclaim and sharing the gospel, sharing the right gospel, telling people what Jesus Christ has done for you as to why. You know, when he says, you know, what you say, you should, you should be walking the talk. Walk. And, and from the point of, Colossians, actually back in Philippians and maybe even before in Galatians when Paul says, you know, who, who caused you guys to walk in a whole different direction? You were walking so good. And then somebody comes in with this false doctrine and now you're doing all this other stuff. What is wrong with you? He didn't even go into trying to help them and encourage them. He just, what is wrong with you guys? I can't believe you got, after what I taught you about what Jesus Christ did, he is sufficient. You don't need any of this other stuff. If anybody comes to you with a different gospel, he tells them, different, you know, if it's either another apostle or an angel or anybody, and it's not the gospel that I taught you, that person ought to be cursed. And beloved, the deception is real. It's everywhere within the church. And that gospel message of Jesus Christ has to be proclaimed. The genuine, authentic gospel of the Old Testament that is now in the New Testament and sharing with us. It's not just, you know, come to Jesus and all things will be all right. It's not just, you know, how many people can we get, uh, you know, forced to do this? You know, let me share my testimony with you. No, it's a transforming message. The gospel message has to have in its conclusion, not its finality, but in, in concluding a point of repentance. You must repent. Get away from your sin. I bring that up to people and say, yeah, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm still having too much fun. When a person is cut by the Holy Spirit, that's the first, what do I do? Well, repent. Ask God for mercy. And let Him change your heart. And here's the reflection of a repented believer. Here's what he does. He walks 
by the Spirit. And his speech is gracious and seasoned with salt. And his, his desire is to be amongst God's people. His desire is to grow closer to the Lord. And every time that he sins, it's not like, eh, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Every time that a, a believer sins and says or does something wrong, he has repented right away. He says, God, please forgive me. Have mercy on me. It should make you sick. It should make you want to say, ah, you know, it's no big deal. I'm not perfect. You know, God, he understands. Because I, I, all I did, I had to, all I had to do was, they told me, is co confess with my mouth, believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead. I'm saved. I, I did that. I believe. We just read that verse. I believe. You know that the demons believe as well? They believe. They believe that God is, that Jesus Christ is God. When Jesus showed up to the tombs of this man that had legions inside of him, he ran toward Jesus Christ and fell at his feet, prostrated himself. In other words, he worshiped Jesus Christ. He, he fell at his feet and he said to him, What have you to do? Oh, God of, uh, Son of God, what do you have to do with us before this appointed time? He knew who Jesus Christ was, he had his Christology right. He knew his power. He had his eschatology, right? The end times before the appointed times. He knew his omniscience. He knew his omnipotence. He knew that he could do whatever he wanted and take those demons out of this man and cast them into these herds of pigs. See, demons know this stuff. They believe and they know the power of God. What have you to do with us, O son of the most high? We know who you are. And a lot of unredeemed people know who Jesus Christ is. They know his power. They know that he's coming back. They know that there's an appointed time, yet they don't have that saving belief that has changed their lives to repent. Oh, I know. All I have to do is confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and God resurrected him. Bible says I'll be saved, so I'm good. See you later. I call that demon faith. The faith of a demon. If there's no repentance, if there's no change of heart, if there's no walk, if there's no talk, if there's not, you're not representing who you are in a, in a proper way, if you're not sick of your sin, if you're not willing to repent, if you're not willing to confess it, if you're not willing to grow in Christ, it's unfortunate a lot of people are walking around with what I call demon faith. See, the gospel message was Paul's central focus. He knew what Jesus Christ did. He had read the Old Testament. He knew that there was a Messiah coming. We know him as Christ. The same thing, Messiah, the anointed one, and his name is Jesus. And that is the gospel message when people understand that we are sinners. Oh, I'm not that bad. I think I'm a pretty good person. No, you're not. None of us are. That's why we need a savior. Saved from what? <laughs> saved from God. You need to be saved from God himself. Because his wrath is coming down on the unrighteous, the ungodly. That's whose wrath, that's what's going to happen. His wrath. You need to repent. I want to conclude with this. Um, the rest of the verses, they're very important. I'd like for you to read them and go back over them. But I'd like to conclude with, let the words of my mouth and the med meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, is what I'm saying acceptable to you? You know, Lord, I know I, I flew off the handle. I, and it's, it's unfortunate that sometimes the, the, the people that we hurt the most are the ones that we love the most. I shouldn't have said that to my wife. I shouldn't have said that to my husband. Repent. When God, when you say, you know, God, but, you know, I, I had to say this because, you know, I, they just ticked me off. You didn't have to say that. You pray and you ask God, what have I said? And he'll show you. What have I done? And he'll tell you. And he'll reveal it to you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. What are you meditating on? What are you pondering? What are you focusing on? What is it that, that drives you? What is it that you are wanting to do? Because we want it all to be acceptable in the sight of our Lord, my rock and my redeemer.
See, our speech reveals a lot about our prayer life, and it also it responds with the gospel. It does. When, when I'm focused on praying and asking God for your will to be done, God's number one will is that people get saved. We have been working with Operation Mountain Strong, and, uh, and I said to them, I says, you know, I, I, I will work with you guys as long as we are proclaiming the gospel, you know? I mean, what, what, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world? Give them all the food and all the money and everything that we have, yet lose his soul. We've got to proclaim the gospel message that we're all sinners. That is the greatest show of love. Well, you hate this group of people and you hate those types of people and you hate. No, I don't. Well, you're always talking about sin and salvation. And well, yeah, it's because I love them. What greater show of love can you have for a person by telling them, look, you're going to die and go to hell. God's wrath is going to be on you. Well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. That's what the Bible says. And you'll come across a person that will hear that message. They'll be cut to the heart, and they'll come to you genuinely saying, what do I do? I'm a lost cause. I, I, I came to my pastor years ago. And when I shared with over 36 years ago, and I, I shared with them, I said, you know, I want my kids to get saved and go to heaven and do what it is that they got to do, you know, because I'm a lost cause. You know, I, I know God doesn't want me. I've done so many things. I've seen so many things. I've been to so many places. And, and he goes, well, what about you? It's just, I'm going straight there. I know I'm going to hell. I mean, I just, I just know that. That's just what was a given for me. But I was so convicted that, you know, that I was going to hell and I, I just, I didn't want my kids to follow in that direction. That's when he shared the grace of God with me. I can be forgiven of all that? Yeah. And it was both my wife and I right there. We bowed before the Lord in his office and we committed to serve Christ from that point forward because of what he did for me and my wife. And that's the message we want to share with everyone else. Are you with me? Let's stand. So stand. Be grateful for your salvation. And the good way of being grateful for that salvation is by sharing it with somebody else. Father in heaven, as we come to the conclusion of this portion of scripture, I know that there is much more that uh, needs to be told and shared. There, there are just a lot of things, Lord, but I, I believe the central crux of this whole book is the gospel message, being genuine and authentic to the gospel. And everything else that people were trying to bring in, it, it's, it's the same thing today, that you must do certain things or certain activities or you must have uh, special abilities and gifts. And, and Lord, you've already taken care of it all. And because of that, we are ever grateful. It doesn't stop there. We need to walk this walk. We need to represent who I am in a way that honors and glorifies you. In my speech, in my walk, in the way I present the gospel, in the way I pray. And I pray, Father, that we, if nothing else, that we can get that out of the book of Colossians. That we need to walk in a manner that is worthy that is worthy of what you've done for us. So, Father, thank you once again for this day. Dismiss us now from this place, but never from your presence, I pray. And everyone says, amen and amen. Let me just give you a very quick update on what we've done so far with Operation Mountain Strong. Um, you'll go into the fellowship hall. We've kind of moved everything out. And I don't know if they're moving to a different location yet or not. But uh, we've left it open for them. We have a, an event coming up next Saturday. So we've kind of cleaned it out. But we still have items. We still need. Uh, I went up there on Friday, and, and the need is great. I couldn't believe how difficult it was. I uh, met one lady that um, she wouldn't leave, and her roof is caving in. But she says, I, I can't go. This is my post. This is my house. I'm not going anywhere until my cats are taken care of. You know. And, and so we, we helped her with the cat litter and food and there was another man that was there, you know, that he, he, he's now shoveling, all by himself, 65-year-old man, he's, he's shoveling snow off the steps and, and going wherever he can, walking the distances to bring people food, and, and a lot of people can't get out. Uh, and, and people like you and I, we can, but people like um, the, the lady that we met, I mean, she's all by herself, 
she didn't have any, her kids are all gone, and her sister's in somewhere L.A. or something, so there's nobody there. To, she can't get out. So she, if she got into her car, she'd be able to go, but her car is filled with snow. It's just, it's still a mess. And I understand more of it's coming. So if you can participate in any way, let me know. Uh, donate food, items. If you want to give, we can, we can translate that into, uh, into, into getting some food. The association and the denomination, as I mentioned to you guys already before, they sent us a lot of money. And what we did is we agreed to double it. We matched what they sent us. So, that, so you were able to give in that manner, and, and a lot of your gifts. And, and, and so we, we doubled what it was, and it, it made quite a bit of baskets or um, bags for meals on wheels. They, they couldn't get up there, and they couldn't figure out how to get food up to them. And how to, so we, we took it upon ourselves to fill up these bags and take them up. And, uh, but, I mean, it's enough for a couple of days. Most people prepared and planned for it, you know, but people like the person, a lot of the elderly, those are the ones that we're really focusing on. A lot of the elderly that just couldn't get out. And um, we can still use your help on all of that, okay? So keep them in prayer as well. Thank you. God bless.